Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. This morning as we look into Acts chapter number 6, you know, the, the book of Acts is an exciting time. If you read the book of Acts and consider yourself and try to place yourself into the body of believers there, it's, a, it's an exciting time. There's a lot of activity, there's a lot of movement, there's a lot of growth and uh, exponential explosions, and it would have been a very exciting time to live in the days of the book of Acts. In Acts chapter number 2, of course, is Pentecost, and, and this is right after Jesus has ascended into heaven, and, and the, the 120 are there together, they're meeting together, they're of one accord, and they're all in unity, and they're praying together. 120 is not a large group. Our church has more than 120 people coming every single week. And there's only 120 people there, dedicated followers, dedicated disciples of Jesus Christ, simply obeying his command. His command was, wait for the Holy Spirit. He's going to come, wait for the Holy Spirit, and then you will be witnesses. And so they're there together, the Holy Spirit comes down, there's a miracle by God, and they speak in tongues, and, and everybody's wondering, what is this thing? Hey, this is not something that we've seen before, what's going on? And, and Peter stands up, and he preaches the gospel, and he preaches about the resurrection, and he preaches about a Savior, and they say, what do we do? And 3,000 people, they believe, they are saved, they are added to the church. In Acts chapter number 3, Peter and John go to the temple. And there is a man that is there by the gate called Beautiful. And uh, he's been lame since birth. He's been a cripple his entire life. He doesn't have any way of making money, so he would just be laid at the gate there. And, and he would beg for money. He would ask anybody that was coming or leaving from the temple area, please, just something, a little bit. And sometimes people might give a little bit here and there, and Peter and John approach, and, and uh, some of you may know the song, but Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he gets up and he starts walking and leaping and praising God, and everybody's like, whoa, what is this thing? Here is a man that we've known for decades that was just there begging. He's almost a part of the landscape. And now he's walking around and he's shouting and he's leaping and he's praising the Lord. But then persecution arises and people aren't happy with what's going on. And so they persecute and, and miraculously they are released by God and, and they continue to preach and and Barnabas does something amazing. He, he takes the land that he owns personally, he sells it, and he takes the profit of it, and he gives it to the church in order to supply the needs. If you know anything about Barnabas, Barnabas was somebody who just wanted to help. He was just somebody who wanted to serve. He just wanted to do what was necessary. And it's a very exciting time in the book of Acts, and a lot of people being added, a lot of people growing, the Bible says in verse number one, and in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied. I mean, this was an exciting, growing time in the church at Jerusalem. But there is no such thing as a perfect situation. And there's no such thing as a perfect church. 
surprise, surprise, a problem comes up. We read about this problem in Acts chapter number 6. You know, in good churches, even in growing churches, even in godly churches, problems can arise. Problems will come up. And in short, how did this church handle the problem? This church handled the problem with servants. The year, this year, our theme is enlarging our tent. It's about growth. It's about advancement. It's about progress. It's about moving forward. And I'm looking forward to this year. I hope that you're looking forward to this year. I hope that you're looking forward to seeing how God will bless. But on a practical level, what does it mean to enlarge my tent? You ever leave church on a Sunday morning and you're very excited and inspired and, and you heard the word of God and, and God was working in your heart and you're like, yeah, that's a great thing. And then you leave and you look around and you're like, okay, but how do I do that? You know, I want to enlarge the place of my tent. Yeah, I want to step out in faith. I want to, I want to do something and see God to work. But, all right, what, what does that mean? How do I do that? This morning, I want to take a look at enlarging our tent of service. In Philippians chapter 2, verse number 5, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. The problem of salvation was solved by Jesus Christ becoming a servant and coming to seek and to save that which was lost. And not to be ministered unto, but to minister or to serve, to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Many of the problems that you might see in our church or in any other church would be solved if we would all just take upon ourselves the mind of Christ, the mind of a servant. And I believe that God will bless our church if we first enlarge our tent of service. I want to see three aspects of enlarging our tent of service this morning. I see, first of all, the call for servants. The call for servants. In verse number one, it says, And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. So there are two groups of people in this first church. There's a group of people that are Grecian, and there's a group of people that are Hebrews. But in this case, actually all of them are Jewish. You have to remember that in Acts chapter number 2, on the day of Pentecost, everybody hears about the tongues, and, and who's there? It's Jewish people that had traveled afar to come for Pentecost. And they're from all over the place. They're from all over the world. And so there's a big group of Jewish people. Some are from Jerusalem. Some are from that, the promised land. Some are from other areas that all came and gathered together. They all heard the gospel, and many of them were saved. 
And so there's a group of people that are here in the city of Jerusalem that are part of this first church, and they're all Jewish, but still there is a a division. There's one group of people that you might say were native. They were from Jerusalem. They were from that area. They had family there. They had relatives there. They they all lived there. Maybe they even were born and, and grew up and lived there and their parents the same and their grandparents the same. But there's another group of individuals that weren't from the area. They were from other areas. They were from Rome. They were from the area of Galatia. They might have been from the city of Ephesus or the city of Corinth. They were from, uh, from the city of Rome. All over the place that had gathered together and they're in Jerusalem. One of the main distinctions would have been the language that they spoke. That's why they were described this way. Instead of speaking Hebrew or Aramaic, these Grecians would have spoken Greek. Because that's everybody around them would have spoken Greek. And so there's, there's a, a, a division that is there. They are united together in the body of the church. They are there together as a single called out assembly, the church there in Jerusalem. But there are clearly two groups of people. And it became abundantly clear that there are two groups of people because one of them obviously had widows among their midst that needed some help. They needed some daily care for them, and they were cared for. They would have probably lived in a community or had a system there to take care of their own. I don't know exactly what the system would have been. Of course, naturally, it would have been relatives first, but maybe some others as well. But there's another group that are not from there. They're not really a part of that community yet. They're they're still kind of guests and visitors. They're moving in, but they haven't fully integrated yet. They are there, and they have the same need. They had widows as well that needed care daily. But their widows weren't being taken care of. I don't know all of the the situation there in the church, but because of this division, there was a missing oversight. You know, all of the apostles, where are they from? Well, they're from Galilee or, you know, they're from different areas, but they're from the area. They would have been native. So they would have probably not noticed the problem because they would be familiar with the community and the system and the structure that was in place. They, they may not have seen this problem coming up. And remember, on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people get saved. They went from 120 to 3,120. Imagine the administration that needs to take place for these 12 apostles suddenly needing to take care of thousands and thousands of people. And th- there was a missing oversight. They just didn't see it. But just because somebody doesn't see it doesn't mean that they're ungodly. Doesn't mean that they're being purposeful. You know, in our church, I'm glad for so many people, but, you know, sometimes I just don't see things. Sometimes your spouse doesn't see things. And sometimes your friends, they don't see things. And there, there might be a missing oversight here at Bible Baptist Church. 
There's a need that needs to be fulfilled, but, but I don't see it, and you don't see it, but somebody else might see it. But it, it built up to a murmuring objection. In verse number one, it says, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. You know, there's going to be problems in our church. There's going to be situations that arise. Something might happen in a relationship between two individuals. Maybe there's a conflict between some people who are in charge of a a ministry. One person sees it one way, one person sees it another way. Maybe there's just something in the church that is not being done that needs to be done. Maybe it seems like nobody else sees it, but you see it. You know, hey, hold on a second. This is a great church. I love my church, but why isn't this being done? You know, there's a right way and a wrong way to approach a problem. There's a right way and a wrong way to address the issue. The wrong way is what they just did. The wrong way is they started complaining amongst themselves. They started complaining to each other. These Jewish people that were from the outside, they started complaining to each other about the Jewish people that were native there, and they say, how come their widows are being taken care of and mine aren't? Hey, I could use some help over here, and they're getting a lot of help, and, and I'm, I'm from the area. I don't have relatives here. I don't have family here. I, I'm not familiar with this place, and I'm still trying to get used to things. And, and many of you are, were born in another country and moved here or moved to different places. And, and you're familiar with that feeling of going to a new place and, and not really knowing where anything is. Not knowing the, the culture, not knowing the system. And, and I'm sure that these, they, they were getting a little frustrated. They were getting a little upset, and they started complaining. But that, that's not the right way to do it. They need to address it. Hey, let's not, let's not go complaining just to our best friend about some of the problems that are going on. Hey, I know that there, our, our church isn't perfect, but let's not be a gossiping church. Amen? Hey, let's not be a church that just talks about the problem. Hey, did you hear about what this person said to me? I can't believe that this person said this to me. And then build that division. Hey, let's not do that. Hey, we want to enlarge the place of our tent at Bible Baptist Church. Hey, let's approach things the right way. I don't, I don't know exactly how everything would have happened, but maybe word got around to the apostles. Hey, there, there's some murmuring that's going around. Hey, some people are talking hey, I think maybe you should address this. And that's what happens. In verse number two, then the 12 called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. So it seems that this problem was addressed and the apostles responded by saying, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Now, on the the one hand, it might seem like, hey, Apostles, are you just taking the side of the of the Hebrew Jewish people that are native here and, and saying, well, I know it's a problem, but I can't do anything about it? What's happening here with the apostles is there's a mandatory obligation. There are priorities for individuals that need to happen. Just on a personal level. You know, as as an individual. My first priority is 
my relationship with God. That's my first priority. And as a believer, if you're a believer here, that's your number one priority, amen? That's your number one priority. That's why you need to get into the Word of God, amen? That's why you need to pray, because that's your number one priority, to make sure that your relationship with God is right. If you're married, your next priority is your spouse. My next priority is my wife. My wife's next priority is me. Praise the Lord. That's the next priority. We have that priority of I need to make sure that my relationship with God is right. And then I have a priority to my wife. Hey, there, there are some other things that need to get done, but if it comes at the cost of my wife, I got to put her first. She's only got one husband and that's me. You know, she's, she's leaning on me, so I got to be there for her. And then there's a priority of my kids. And then there, you know, there's a priority of my ministry here and my work and things like that. And every single one of you should have that list of priorities. And it should be probably along those same lines as well. Your relationship with God, if you're married, your relationship with your spouse and, and uh, children and family, and then to ministry and work. And what the, what the apostles are saying is, we are in a, a, a unique position where we have a certain set of priorities that does not allow us to address this issue personally. So, we need some people to step up. We need some people to step up. Because as much as I would like to just take care of every problem and address every issue in the church, I can't. So we need a team. Amen? That's what Bible Baptist Church is. We're a team. Working together. Laboring together. Serving together. Enlarging the place of our tent together. So that God would work. And so that God would grow. So here's what happens here in this first church is there's a problem that arises. And anytime there's a problem, it's a call for servants to step up. But I want you to see the commitment of servants. There's a call for servants, and there's also a commitment of servants. In verse number three, here is the instruction of the apostles. The apostles say, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. There was a need for fulfilling the needs of the widows, and the solution was God's people stepping up and serving to fulfill the need. And the instruction was, find seven men of honest report. They had a good reputation it's not just that they had good connections, but they were respected by the church as a whole. Seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. And I want you to notice the wording that the apostles use regarding these seven servants. The wording was this. Wherefore, brethren... Look ye. All right? Who is the ye? Who's the ye? The ye is the church, right? So the apostles are speaking to the church. Church, look you out among you, 
look out among the church seven men of honest report whom we may appoint over this business. They said, all right, church, there's a problem. You, church, picked seven men to serve in this area. Right? It's kind of funny how you know, different churches have different traditions and different means and methods. I don't know if you've ever gone and traveled to a different area and visited another church and then felt very out of place because they do things differently. You ever been there? Right? You go to a church and you're used to, like here at Bible Baptist Church, we might sing one song and then it's, it's greeting time, right? At another church, they might do it totally different and you're, you know, you're kind of thrown off by it. You know, if we have a, a ministry need, one of the things that we'll do here a lot at the church is we'll have a sign-up there on the back table. Amen? That's why that back table is there, is for sign-ups, so that people would sign up for ministry service opportunities. And there's some, there some sign-ups there. Amen? Amen? There are some sign-ups there. All right? I'm just telling you that they're back there. All right? But you know what this church did is... Peter didn't stand up and say, all right, church, you know, where, you know, he preaches and gives the invitation and says, all right, uh, you know, Brother James, why don't you come up here and give the announcements? He gets up there and gives some announcements and says, all right, there's an issue that came up in the church and, and we need seven men to step forward and to serve in this area. There's a sign up there on the back table. That's not what happened here in the church, did it? You know what the church actually did? The church did it this way. All right, church, you guys just pick seven people that are of good report, full of these characteristic traits, and you select them to serve in this ministry. You know, I'm grateful for our church because we have so many people in our church that serve in different capacities. You know, if I were to ask, just kind of randomly select different members, many of you would be able to just list off several things, several areas in which you serve. Oh, yeah, I serve in the nursery ministry. Oh, yeah, when the choir comes around, I, I serve in the choir. And, you know, in the, when there's a cleaning uh, 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 situation, a service opportunity, then, I, you know, I'm a part of that. And, and a ladies' ministry or the singles' ministry or the youth' ministry. And, and you might be able to list off a number of different things, and I'm thankful for that. And many of you would know, you know what, this is my place of service in the church. This is what I do. This is why I'm here. Some of you may be thinking, I don't have a place, and I don't know what my place is. All right, some of you may be thinking that. Some of you may think, I don't have a place of service, and I'm not really sure what my place of service is. If we were to follow the method of this church here, you would find your place of service when somebody comes up to you and asks you, hey, can you help me serve in this ministry? That's your place of service. You know how great our church would be if, if Brother Mike, whenever he had a need for vacation Bible school, just went up to somebody and said, hey, I could use your help in vacation Bible school. And that person just took upon themselves, this must be what I'm supposed to do here at Bible Baptist Church. I'm going to serve and I'm going to help. That would make Brother Mike's job a lot easier, amen? And can you imagine Brother Robbie in the youth group ministry just said to the parents of the teenagers, you know, I could really use your help in this area. Hey, can I get you guys to do this for me? And they just did it. Hey, that'd be a great and wonderful thing, amen? Hey, you know what? If your life connection teacher says, you know, I, I could really use your help in this area. Hey, why don't we do this? Hey, could you help me serve in this area? Could you do this thing for me? When you look at the Bible, 
You know, so oftentimes we as believers kind of feel like we get to pick and choose our calling. But in the Bible, people didn't pick and choose their calling. Moses didn't pick and choose his calling, did he? He didn't choose who his parents were. He didn't choose that he was raised by Pharaoh's daughter. He didn't choose that God met him by the burning bush. He didn't choose those things. Abraham, he was called out from his family to go to the promised land. He didn't choose that. When you look at somebody like like Noah, Noah didn't get to pick and choose, you know, and, and God says, you need to build a boat. And Noah couldn't say, oh, wow, that's a big project. I don't think I want to do that. You know, he didn't get to pick and choose his calling. Jonah, Jonah was called. There were other prophets around. He wasn't the only prophet at that time. Other prophets could have been chosen, but God chose Jonah to serve in that area, go to Nineveh and preach the gospel. Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, they didn't get to pick and choose. Jesus just said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Paul and Barnabas, they didn't choose their calling when they were just serving and ministering and teaching. The Bible says the Holy Ghost said, separate me, Paul, and Barnabas, and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. The calling of God was not a pick-and-choose situation in the Bible. God would move on the hearts of men and women, and they would step forward and fulfill the calling of God. Hey, at Bible Baptist Church, let me encourage you. If somebody comes up to you and says, I could really use your help, that might be God saying, hey, this is your area of service opportunity. Amen? Hey, when somebody approaches you and says, hey, this is a, I, I think that you have some ability here and you have some opportunity here. Why don't you serve with me in this area? Take it upon yourself to say, you know what? Maybe this is God telling me, hey, this is how I should participate. This is how I should serve. And it's not a lifelong commitment. It's not a marriage. You know, somebody says, hey, I'd like you to teach a, a Sunday school class. You're not going to be stuck with that Sunday school class forever. Maybe just for a season. Maybe forever. Who knows? <laughs> I don't want to put words in the mouth of God. But you know what I'm saying. Every believer has a calling. Some are explicit. As a husband, I know what my calling is. I'm not very good at it, but my calling is to love my wife even as Christ loved the church. That's my calling. Every husband has that calling. And every wife has the same calling. Submit yourselves unto your own husbands, even as unto the Lord. So some of them are explicit. Some of them are not quite so explicit. But how you respond to the calling of God on your life, the calling of service, will bring greatly different results. And there's three responses that you can have to the calling of God. If you're taking notes, this might be a good time for you to just jot a few things down. There are three responses that you can have to the calling of God on your life. Number one, you can flee from it. That's what many believers do. Many believers flee from the calling of God. Somebody here at Bible Baptist Church may, may come alongside of them and, and on a Sunday and say, Hey, it's good to see you. Hey, I, uh, can I ask you about something? Hey, I could really use your help in this ministry. And uh, I really need somebody to come and, and uh, take care of this thing for me. And sometimes the response is, 
oh, uh, yeah, oh okay, uh, no, I, I, I'm, I'm too busy. I got some other things. And then, and then you look on social media, and they're posting things about traveling all over the place. And they're like, hey, hold on a second here. <laughs> you know, they're running from it. They're fleeing from it. Jonah tried to do that. You know, what's interesting about Jonah is God would not let Jonah run from his calling. Jonah was in a bad situation because he tried to run from his calling. You can try to run from it, but it's not a good idea for you, and it's not a good idea for the church either. Three responses to the calling of God in your life. Number one, you can flee from it. Number two, you can fail in it. This is what happens when somebody says, hey, here's the calling of God, and I want to do it. I want to do it. I want to serve in this area. Maybe you're teaching a class. I want to see my class to grow. Maybe you're talking about, you know, leading some children. Hey, I want to lead these children well. But this response is what happens when someone tries to follow the call of God, but do it in their own strength. I'm going to try to do what God has told me to do by myself, without God, in my strength, with my abilities. There are many well-meaning Christians who want to do right. I think as I look out here this morning, this is a church full of people that want to do right. Amen? Amen? You want to do right. You want to do what the Bible says. You want to follow the call of God. But sometimes we fall short, don't we? And we fall short when we rely on ourselves. You know what? I'm going to teach this class, and I'm going to lead them, and I'm going to use my charisma, and I'm going to use my intellect, and I'm going to use all my social skills. Jesus said that I will build my church. Hey, we can, we can follow the call of God, but try to do it in our own strength and fall short. The third thing is that we can be fulfilled in it. You know, we can flee from it. We can run from the call of God. And we know in our minds and in our hearts that God has told us, hey, this is a service opportunity. You ought to serve there, but you're running from it. You just keep saying no. You just keep saying, no, I can't do it. Oh, I'm too busy. Oh, this and that. And excuses and but in your heart you know that God wants you to do this and you're running from it there might be an individual here who you want to do what is right and follow the call of God but you're trying to do it in your own strength so it's just it's just not working let me encourage you to do the third thing which is to be fulfilled in it this is what happens when a believer follows the call of God and relies upon God to fulfill that calling through them. When we follow the call of God, what we want to do is work, what we want to allow God to do it through us, then we find success. And one of the fears that I think many individuals have is that they feel like they're not qualified for the calling that is there. You ever felt that way? You ever feel like God wants you to do something, but you don't feel sufficient to do it? You ever feel that way? I think some people here might feel that way. You know, I'm teaching this class, but I'm just 
you know, I just feel like I, I don't know why I'm teaching this class. I just feel like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the person that's, that's able. That person over there, they would be great to teach this class. I mean, they've got great skills and they're a great teacher, but I, I don't have those kinds of skills. I, I mean, they asked me to teach, but I'm here, but I, I, don't know, I don't really know what I'm doing here. Maybe you're participating in some ministry service opportunity and you're just looking around and you're like, wow, that person, I can see why that person's here and I can see why that person's here. I have no idea why I'm here. You know, God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. He gives strength to those that follow his calling. And the apostles, in looking for seven men, looked for these three qualifications, these three character traits, these three commitments that every believer can do to grow in to fulfill the calling of God. They were full of the Holy Ghost. That's what verse 3 says. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost. Being filled with the Spirit doesn't mean that you get more of the Spirit. You know, some of you have less of the Spirit. Some of you have more of the Spirit. If you're more spiritual, you got more of the Spirit. No, when you get saved, you get all of the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit has to do with the idea of control. Ephesians chapter 5, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. It's about control. The idea of servanthood is this. Who's in control? Who's in control? We are not to be controlled by our flesh. We are not to be controlled by our sinful desires. We are not to be controlled by our emotions. Oh, today I feel like coming to church. Oh, today I don't feel like coming to church. Oh, today I feel like serving. Oh, today I don't feel like serving. Today I feel like being nice. Today I don't feel like being... Well, you're being controlled by your emotions then. We are not to be controlled by our emotions. We are to be controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. We can't be full of the flesh. We can't be full of our emotions. We can't be full of ourselves. I am not to be in control. God is to be in control. The Holy Spirit is to be controlled. We are not to be controlled by peer pressure, by our schedules, by family or relatives, by our work demands, by our finances. Hey, if we're going to follow the calling of God, we need to be controlled by the Holy Spirit, yielding ourselves to God in obedience. We also need to be full of wisdom, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. Wisdom is one of those things where I feel like everybody wants it, but everybody feels like they can't get it. You ever feel that way? Like, I know that I want wisdom, but I don't know how to get it. I need more of it, and I'm trying to get it, but I'm still not having enough of, of it. But the irony of that is that God wants to give you a lot of it. James chapter 1, verse number 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. God wants to give you wisdom. And there's a process in verse number 3. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have a perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire wanting nothing. So here's the process. God is going to try your faith. You will have patience in it. And God at the end will give you wisdom. So what's the key to getting wisdom then? The key to getting wisdom is enduring through trials. You want to get wisdom? Endure. You want to have wisdom? 
be faithful. Amen? Be consistent. Slow and steady wins the race. Be consistent. Be faithful. Be enduring. And God will give you wisdom. Thirdly, I see that they needed to be full of faith. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith. He trusted God. For we walk by faith and not by sight. This is what Brother Jimmy preached several weeks ago. We live by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. We simply trust God. Do you trust God this morning? Do you fully trust God this morning? We need to fully trust God. You know, and that's not something that requires like some supernatural ability. Every one of us, we can fully trust God. Every single one of us, we can simply endure through trials, be patient and have long suffering and receive wisdom at the end. Every single one of us can yield ourselves to God and be full of the Holy Spirit. There's a commitment of servants. There was a call for servants. But lastly, I want to see the compensation of servants. This is the exciting part about serving in the ministry. Is that verse number seven is not a coincidence. It's not a non sequitur. It's not one of those things where like, here are some exciting things. And then, okay, here's something completely unrelated. All right, now we're going to get back to the story. Verse 7 is related to the story that we just read. Verse 7 says, and the word of God increased. That's exciting. Hey, there was a need that was in the church. There was a problem. There was a call for some servants, and there were some committed men that stepped forward and fulfilled the need of the servants, and guess what? Increase happened. They enlarged the place of their tent, and God filled it. The needs of the widows being met by called and committed servants led to an increase. I can't explain everything about how this and that influences this and that and leads to this and that. But in this story, here in Acts chapter number 6, the need being met by people of the church serving led to an increase of dissemination of the scriptures. And the word of God increased. The word of God had spread. And that's what the world needs. That's what your family needs. A greater reception of the word of God. A greater digging and studying in the word of God. That's what you need. That's what we need. That's what our church needs. That's what the lost needs. And when people of God step forward and fulfill the service needs in the church, God magnifies his word. And people pay attention and people listen and people hear it and respond to it and grow by it. There was an increase of the disciples of the Savior and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. Now in verse number one, we see, and in those days when the number of the, of the disciples was multiplied. Hey, that's exciting. That's great. That's some good things. But here in verse number seven, it doesn't just say that the number of the disciples multiplied. It says that they multiplied in Jerusalem greatly there was a greater increase because of service there was a greater increase because people served and did what they could and saw a need and stepped forward and fulfilled it and because of that there were more disciples in the church 
We also see there is an increase of diversity of saints. Verse number seven, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Not just that it's the same old people coming to the church and hearing the word of God and the same old kind of people coming in and getting saved and praise the Lord for that. But now there are priests that are getting saved. Probably the people that you would least likely see to be saved, now they're getting saved. It's an exciting time in the church. And here's what I see, which is I want these three things in my church. And you want these three things in your church too, don't you? You want an increase of the word of God. Don't you want more disciples to be here and, and a greater group of people to be saved and added to the church? I mean, that would be a great thing. How can I do that? How can I get involved in that? Well, you could get into your Bible and read the Word of God for yourself. You could serve in the church. You could witness to your friends. And you might look at a witness opportunity, or you might look at a service opportunity, rather, and wonder, what does this have to do with the increase of our church? Not to steal your thunder, Brother Robbie. He's going to give the announcements in a moment. But there's going to be a service opportunity there in the back to join the choir. There's a service opportunity there in the back to help clean the church on Sunday afternoons. And you might think, what does that have to do with seeing our church to grow? Right? You might wonder, what does cleaning the bathroom have to do with seeing our church to grow? What, what, what does, uh, you know, uh, serving in the nursery have to do with seeing our church to grow? What is it, what is it you know, we have a, maybe we might have a spring cleaning day. What does that have to do with, you know, seeing our church to grow? Well, it has everything to do with seeing our church to grow. Because every believer has a calling to serve in the church. And when God's people enlarge the place of the tent of their service. And they say, you know what? Hey, there's a, there's a place for me to serve. I can serve there. I'm going to serve there. And they step forward. They commit themselves to God. Then guess what? God will work. Hey, let me encourage you this morning. Maybe you have a place of service already. Just go to the Lord and, and ask the Lord... Hey, is there anything that needs to be changed? Maybe you need to shift to a different ministry. Maybe you need to step up. Uh, in a few rare cases, maybe you might even need to step back. Hey, if you don't have a service opportunity, and, I, I mean, you don't have a place of service, go to the Lord this morning and say, God, where would you have me to serve? Because everybody needs a place of service. And when we enlarge our tent of service, God will bless.